So I say to people who have doubts, so do I. So does every writer I have ever met in my life. So do all my students, all my clients. So does everyone I've ever met. So the question is, what are you going to do with that? In other words, what kind of a relationship do you want to cultivate with the part of you that says, I'm not good enough? Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Now, let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. This week's episode is a Heart of Writing podcast. So just in case you're new to the podcast, each month I feature a Heart of Writing craft of writing and business of writing episode, along with a new release feature author of the month. Today's guest is Bella Mahaya Carter, a US author, creative writing teacher, empowerment coach and speaker who helps writers and others experience greater freedom, joy and peace of mind. But just before we get to chatting to Bella on the Convo Couch, I wanted to give a shout out to some new Patreon supporters. A massive thank you and shout out to Carrie Molichino, Penelope Janu, Leanne Lovegrove, Valerie Miller, and Shelley Baird, who have all recently signed up to support the podcast on Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a subscriber thing, which just basically supplies a little bit of money towards the production, release, promotion, all those sorts of things to do with the podcast. And it's a huge vote of faith in the podcast and in what I'm doing here at Rights for Women to have all you lovely writers out there who are supporting the podcast already. You can support the podcast for as little as the cost of the cup of coffee per month. And you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash rightsforwomen. There's a number of different tiers. As I said, as small as a cup of coffee, up to maybe two cups of coffee a month. And there's a range of benefits and bonuses that you get for that support. So thank you to those new supporters and to all the other supporters who are out there already. I've already mentioned them on the podcast this year, and I just completely love you guys and really appreciate the support. The other thing that I wanted to let everybody know about is there is a Rights for Women closed Facebook community now. Uh, I think we're up to about 91 members there, and it's just a sort of safe, closed space for supporters of the podcast, any women writers out there who want to join and be part of that gang, I reckon, part of the tribe. And we just chat about different writing issues as they come up and people can post any writing success or problems or anything at all about writing, share any articles or anything at all that they think is relevant to the rest of the group. So you have to apply to join and there's a couple of questions you have to answer like, do you listen to rights for women? And your answer will be yes, of course. And then just agreeing to the group rules and regulations, which are just the normal ones, nothing very onerous. So have a look for that on Facebook if you'd like to join us in the Rights for Women Facebook community. So now on to talking about our guest for today. Bella Mahaya Carter is a firm believer in the power of writing to heal and transform lives. Her work is informed and inspired by a passion for spiritual psychology and her new book, 
Where Do You Hang Your Hammock? Finding Peace of Mind While You Write, Publish and Promote Your Book has just been released. It's an invaluable resource that encourages authors to rethink their ambitions and trust their heartfelt passions and purpose and values in the journey to becoming or continuing on as authors. All a perfect reason to invite Bella to join me today on the Convo Couch for this Heart of Writing episode. So Bella, welcome to the Convo Couch at Rights for Women. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I love the Convo Couch. It's great. And is it is it purple, the Convo Couch? Well, in my head, it's purple, but I <laughs> I was lucky enough to recently buy a vintage caravan, which has become my podcasting studio. And the the cushions, which have been all beautifully renovated and newly covered, are actually a beautiful light powder blue. So oh. yeah, I was toying with the idea of re cushioning them but I figure you can't actually see the cushions when we record and it's it's actually really nice it's all sort of decked out in blue and white so yeah beautiful so Bella can you start by telling us about your writing history how you got to be where you are now and your path to publication okay I'm going to break that down into two two questions because there's a lot there so maybe the first question is my writing history or how did I come to be where I am Mm-hmm. And I think like a lot of writers, it wasn't a straight path. It was a circuitous one. My creative life started as a dancer and I was studying at a conservatory. I had been training my whole life to be a dancer and I was studying at a conservatory, but I had a back injury and I had to stop dancing, which was devastating to me. Mm. But the thing that I realized was that one of the things that I loved most about dancing was choreography. And the reason that I like to make up dances was because I like to tell stories. And actually, I liked stories even as a child. I used to just sit around the dining room table and listen to my parents and their friends talking because they when once once the kids would leave the table, the parents would start to really, they would forget that I was there. Yeah. And they would start to share really juicy stuff. And so I've always loved stories. So after I couldn't dance anymore, I thought, well, I want to become educated. So I went to college and I studied literature. And, and while I was in college, I came, I had this teacher who was a film person. And I took a course called Images of Women in Film. And I thought that was really interesting. I, I learned a lot. And so I decided to go to film school. And when I was in film school, I was a writing teaching assistant for, for screenplays. And when I graduated from film school, I was working on a screenplay and it wasn't really going anywhere. And so I went to this adult extension class at UCLA and I heard a bunch of teachers talking about their classes. And there was this one man who got up, he was teaching a poetry class and I knew very little about poetry. And he read a poem about menstruation. And what was really remarkable about it was that it it was insightful, it was tender, it was sensitive, it was smart. And I thought any man who could write a poem like that is someone I want to study with. So I don't care Mm. what he's teaching, I'm just gonna take his class. Oh, great. His name is Jack Grapes. And I stayed in his class for five years. He, He would say, it doesn't really matter what you're writing. Like it's a poem if you break the lines like this, it's an essay if you don't. And so his message was excavate the depths, show up, go deep, don't perform. You don't need to perform here. Be who you are and speak the truth. And that was an incredible thing to learn. Then I started writing all sorts of things and experienced many years of 
rejection and heartache. And as I look back, I realized I really didn't know how to write. I mean, I'd gone through my schooling and university and I could write an academic paper, but there was so much to learn about the craft and it took time to learn it. And then, and then I just, I just kept doing it. I kept working. I kept writing because I had to, I couldn't not write. And Eventually, I, I met a woman who was an acquisitions editor at Seal Press, which is a feminist press in America. It happened to have been one of my favorite presses for years during that time. And she actually left Seal Press because she felt that she didn't have the freedom to acquire the books that she wanted because now the company was being taken over by a larger company. And, and so now she could only publish authors who had big platforms. So she started She Writes Press in America. And I started working with her 10 years ago and never looked back and have published happily with She Writes Press. This is my second book with She Writes Press, my third book in the world. Oh, I love that story. I actually got a little bit tingly when you were talking about the excavating, going deep, speaking your truth. I think that's such an important part of that whole writing process, isn't it? It really is. It's also incredibly liberating. I mean, I had stories that I was really, there were things that had happened in my life that I was deeply ashamed of. And I didn't talk about it. I didn't, I didn't even remember them until I started writing Mm -hmm. and they started coming. And when I, when I started writing about some of these things and sharing them with other people, it was astonishing to me that people said, oh, wow, I can't believe you wrote about that. I had a similar experience. And then I really just slowly over time, it just became a process of letting go of shame letting go of pain, letting go of a lot of stuff that, that I think if I had, if it, if I had kept it inside, it would have caused sickness. Mm. Mm. And was your first book, Bella, a memoir? No, my first book was a poetry book because remember I was studying with that teacher who was a poetry teacher. So my first book was poetry. Although all of the poems are very narrative in nature and by narrative, I mean, they tell, they all tell a story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're very, it's easy to understand. It's not like, it's not abstract. It's not language poetry. It's not, you don't read it and think, huh, what's this about? Mm. It's like you read it and you hear, and you hear the story and you get it. Okay. Okay. It's called secrets of my sex. And I refer, and sex means both gender and genitals. Great. I'll be looking out for that one. Can you tell us about where the inspiration and the title came from for your current book? Yes, yes, I'm happy to do that. So my editor, who is also the publisher at She Writes Press, her name is Brooke Warner. And some time ago, she said to me, you ought to turn your blog into a book. And I couldn't really imagine why that was a good idea. And I didn't really think about it until I was done with my memoir. And then I thought, well, it could be interesting to revisit what I've been, I've been keeping my blog for 10 years. And the purpose of my blog was to provide inspiration for writers and seekers of health and happiness. That's kind of how, how I thought about it. And I did, looked at my blog posts and then I, I realized that I had over 200 blog posts and I began to see a pattern emerging. I began to see that most of what I'd written, not all of what I'd written, but most of what I had written fit into one of five categories, dream, nourish, write, publish, and promote. So I took the I took the different pieces and I kind of put them in the right place where I thought they belonged within those categories. 
And then I read it and I realized, oh, you can't really just string together a bunch of blog posts because that doesn't work. What was missing was an organizing principle, a thematic structure to hold everything together. And then something happened in my life and I realized, oh, this is what this is all about. And what happened, I'll tell you a story. This is what happened. About 10 years ago, my husband and my daughter from Mother's Day gave me this wonderful gift. It was a hammock. And I loved the gift, but I didn't know where to put it. I did have a big backyard, but I often hosted literary salons there. So I didn't want to put a hammock there. But there was an old tool shed on the side of the house and we didn't really use it very much. So we, we emptied it and we demolished it and we set up the hammock in this beautiful, lovely, shady spot on the side of the house. And then one day, yeah, I see you're nodding your head with recognition because you've read the introduction to my book, yeah, which tells yes. this story. It's a great story. It's a really good so, story. So I'm going to give a condensed version. So I, one day I get into my hammock after years of enjoying my hammock. I get into my hammock and I notice that something is different. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I know it's not good. I look up and I realize that the branch that provides the shade to my hammock has been cut down. So my neighbor has this big tree on his side of the property and there's a fence and there's a hole in the fence and the limb goes through the hole and provides this beautiful shade to my hammock. So he cut this limb without asking, without letting us know. And he had no idea what he had done, of course, but I was pissed. And I thought, I'm just ruined. Like, I don't know what to do. I tried different things. I tried going out there with like sunscreen and a white sheet, nothing worked. My husband came up with good ideas like, oh, we could put a shade structure. No, I don't want to look at plastic. I want to look at the sky. He kept coming up with one idea after the next and I, I kept shooting him down. And for most of that summer, I just, I just avoided my hammock. And then one day at the end of the summer, I just thought, but I really need to get into that hammock. So I tore down a rotting redwood trellis. I dragged the hammock to a very close by, but just under a piece of shade, got into my hammock. I looked up and I said, whoa, why didn't I do this sooner? It's beautiful. And the reason I hadn't done it sooner was because my mind was fixed. I thought the hammock had to be in that spot. I've since, by the way, moved the hammock many, many times and have discovered that there isn't a bad place in my yard for the hammock. I move it all the time. So what this has to do with writing and publishing is that for years, I clung to this notion that to be a legitimate author, I had to have my publishing journey had to look a certain way. And what I discovered was it wasn't unfolding. My publishing journey wasn't unfolding in in accordance with my dream and my expectations. And so I had a choice. Do I take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of me and build from there, or do I give up? Mm. And I chose the former and not the latter, and I have never looked back, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. As I said, I love that story, and I I love that whole idea of that change in perspective, the hammock being the metaphor for looking at things differently. And yes, and that is the primary metaphor. And I also like to think of it in terms of not blaming other people for our disappointments. This led to a whole other, I mean, this led to a book, this story, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's always, there's always a way and, and it comes from inside of us. No matter what the circumstances are, how we respond to them is everything. Yes, very, very true. So, Belly, you talked about how you pulled ideas together from your blog. And, of course, all of that is based on your own life experience, your own experience as a writer and in the publishing world. And how have you then sort of pulled that together with the the journal topics and made it that one coherent 
text? I love this question. And the reason I love it is because once I got started on the project and the project came together very quickly, I would say two or three weeks of eight hours a day. It just, it happened. I just realized, oh, wow, I have this book. I didn't really plan it to tell you the truth. Mm. And of course I was drawing on 10 years worth of material, but the book had its own momentum. And I just respectfully listened. I discovered that when you organize material thematically rather than chronologically, it takes on a life of its own. Like, I, I didn't know I was going to do the, the journal writing prompts at the end. One day I just thought like, well, well, how would I like this chapter to end if I were a reader? And mm. I thought like, well, maybe it would be nice to just ask some questions. It was a very strange process because no sooner would I have a question in my mind, like, like I, when I first put the book together, I noticed there were a lot, there was a lot of redundancy and there were gaping holes. And that was obvious. But as soon as I saw that there was a hole, I was like, well, what belongs there? And pretty much like right away on the heels of the question came the answer. I mean, there are projects that you go into and you just, you do have a sense of it and what it is. But even with a project where I was creating a book out of a blog, even then I didn't know what was going to transpire. Mm. I just showed up. I was open and available to what wanted to be expressed through me and I received it. And now I'm just, you know, paying it forward. I'm just sharing it. In some ways, I don't feel like I wrote the book. It's very odd. I mean, I, I have a little reading table crowded with books next to my comfy chair in the living room and I have a copy of it there. And I sometimes late at night will pick it up and just open to any random page and I'll start to feel inspired and I'll like as if I didn't write it. Like, I don't right. know where this book, I don't know where this came from, but it just wanted to be published and it happened to have come through me. I love that. So there's so much in there, isn't there, about trusting the process and believing that that what you've, the story that you've got to tell or the, or the wisdom or whatever it is that you've got to share is valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find that most people have no idea the value of their gifts. I'm a writing teacher and a, and a coach and many of my students and, and clients, they don't realize the value of what they've written. They don't see it. They, they're so close to it. It's just, they just feel like it's from their lives and they think, why would anybody be interested? But the truth is when it's closely observed and there's enough sensory detail, which my students, many of them have been around for a long time and they're quite good at that. And even so they don't recognize the, the power of what they've written. So it's, it can be really helpful. It can be helpful to, to, to work with other writers in some capacity, as long as they're people you can trust. I've worked with famous writers who were terrible teachers and lesser known writers who were great teachers. Not that they're just yeah. different. And so like, so I recommend that people, that writers especially find a community or create a community, which is what you, which is you, what you've done here. And it's so beautiful. I so admire you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I, yeah, I've had that experience myself that having been writing now for 20 years, really, and like you had the ups and downs of the whole publishing journey. And sometimes we're going to, I have a question for you later about that whole publishing issue, but Certainly, I know for my own progress, my own mental health, everything to do with my writing life, if I hadn't have had some very trusted writing buddies uh, yes. and teachers along the way, I think I probably would have given up, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Mm. Which brings me to this next question is, is about fear and doubt. And I think they're things that as writers we're very familiar with and things that can actually 
stop you in your tracks. How do you suggest, Bella, that people deal with those emotions? I love this question. There's a chapter in my book that I call Universal Doubt. The reason it's called Universal Doubt is because it, it took me a long time to learn this, but we tend to think that the thoughts that come up in our head are the truth. And most people have quite a bit of insecure thinking. Mm. The problem is that we, we like that this thinking comes from uh, conditioned thought that maybe was seeded when we were children and we needed this kind of thinking to, to survive, but it's no longer useful. So the first trick is to just try to be a neutral observer of your thoughts. And if you can't do that, because that maybe takes some practice, definitely takes some practice. If you're feeling like you're in a bad mood, if you're feeling low, depressed, anxious, angry, and you just kind of take a step back and you just say, oh, I must be having some thinking that is creating this feeling in my body. And you just like set an intention to sort of be able to see what some of that thinking is. Then you don't fuse with the thinking. I think of it like this. Imagine fish in water. They don't realize they're swimming in water. Mm. The water is a part of their natural environment. That's how it is with us and our thinking. We swim around in our thoughts, thousands of them every day, probably more than that. And we don't realize it's just the mind kind of doing what the mind does. It's just, that's what the mind is there for. And it's a wonderful tool, but it's a better servant than master. So I say to people who have doubts, so do I. So does every writer I've ever met in my life. So do all my students, all my clients. So does everyone I've ever met. So the question is, what are you going to do with that? In other words, what kind of a relationship do you want to cultivate with the part of you that says, I'm not good enough. No one will care what I have to say. I'm just a mom. I, I have nothing of value to offer the world. So it's not that those thoughts are there. That's the problem. Because those thoughts can be there. But what are you going to do about it? My mom used to say that when she was around really talkative people that she didn't like very much, she would tune them out. Like they're there. Okay. I acknowledge that they're there, but I don't have to pay attention to them. And I certainly don't have to take what they're saying to me, the hurtful, limiting things they're saying to me. I don't have to take those personally. And that's why I call it universal doubt, because you can see that this isn't personal. This is in fact universal. This is something that we all have going on inside of our heads. And it's just the way it is. That's a game changer. You're in a different position. You can't be hijacked by those by those fearful, doubtful thoughts. It's a little bit like Elizabeth Gilbert's story in Big Magic of having that inner critic and being a passenger in the car. I love magic. that. That's one of yeah. my favourites. Yeah, yeah and think... just saying, yeah, well, thanks for coming along for the ride, but I'm not really interested in where you want to take me. You know? <laughs> exactly. And she goes further and she says that she will let, she said, anytime I start a new project, I know that fear will come along for the ride. And that's just a given. Whenever we're starting something new or we're stepping out of our comfort zone, fear will be present. So she says, if fear is on its best behavior, it doesn't have to sit in the back seat. It can sit in the passenger seat. That's right. But yeah. it's not allowed to navigate. And fear is also never allowed to take the steering wheel. And unfortunately for me, for many, many years, fear was driving the car. Mm. And that's what happens to a lot of writers. And they don't know that's what's happening. And it prevents them from writing. And I think that's where the importance of journaling comes in, isn't it? You do 
recommend, I guess, in your book, just by having the prompts there and here's some journal topics at the end of each little section, things for you to think about. So how is that something that you've done for a long time as a writer yourself, sort of use journaling to process thoughts and to come to terms with different emotions? Absolutely. For me, journal, journal writing keeps me honest. There was a time when I was working on my second book on my memoir, Raw, My Journey from Anxiety to Joy, where we had five family deaths in three years. I was the executor of my mom's estate. It was contentious. I was in the middle of a family fight and I developed an anxiety disorder and I was afraid to leave my house. Mm. I had to stop working on my book. I fought, but in actuality, I was writing in my journal because I had to, because I needed it. To, I needed it to be my friend. And my... So even though I wasn't writing and I would sometimes beat myself up because I wasn't writing because I wasn't working on my memoir, I was in fact writing. I didn't consider it writing, but I was showing up regularly in my journal, maybe a couple of times a week, just writing in my journal. And much of what I wrote in my journal during that time actually became the, the final section of my book. I didn't know it at the time. I, I really believe in journal writing. I think it's a valuable practice. It's a place where you get to just practice. You get to show up. You get to just have no expectations. You get to see what's on your own mind because I oftentimes have no idea what's on my mind until I start writing whatever is yeah. there. Out. However, I will say that I don't really believe in telling anybody else what to do. Mm. And I don't believe that I know what's best for anybody else. I know what works for me. Mm. I know journal writing works for a lot of people. I was interviewed last week by um, a New York Times bestselling author who's written like seven books. And he's in a writer's block right now. And he said, what would you say to that? What would you tell me to do about that? And he said, and don't tell me writing your journal because I don't believe in that. Like I tried that and didn't work. And so I talked to him about the thinking that must be going on in his mind and about, about cultivating a different relationship with that thought. And he really liked that answer. What I didn't say to him was maybe the expectations you set for yourself, since you're such an accomplished writer, maybe the expectations that you brought to your journal were too high. Because mm. he said, like, I tried that and it didn't work. And I wasn't going to go into it deeper with him in the interview. But if he'd been a client, yeah. I would have said, oh, that's interesting. Tell me what happened. And he might have said, well, I just couldn't do it every day. And I would say, there's no law. There's no rule that says you have to do it every day. It's a tool and, it, and it's just available and it's at your disposal. It's just a place where you can be where you can write freely. Yeah. yeah. And he's a super smart guy. And I have no question that there would be tons of thoughts just pouring out of him, but he probably was judging himself and his process and thinking this doesn't work. Yeah. And I think it's like so many things with writing and life, isn't it? It's if you try something and it doesn't work for you at that time, fair enough. But sometimes if you go back to things too and try them at a different stage and place in your life, it, it does have a different result for you. Right, absolutely. For me, it's been a very valuable tool and for my students and clients as well. Mm, and I've worked mm. with hundreds of writers over the past 10 years and it's pretty effective if you can just get out of your own way and give yourself the freedom. Even I tell people that are just starting, I say, well, what's a comfortable amount of time for you to show up to your writing? Maybe it's 15 minutes, two times a week. I get them to try to get very specific Mm. with a commitment and then we see like well how did that work for you usually what happens with most people is 
the hardest part is sitting down to write. So they'll, they'll say, okay, I've got to do my 15 minutes. And then they're 15 minutes in and their timer goes off and they're like, well, I'm not going to stop now. Yeah. So then maybe they're writing for an hour, but it is okay to stop after 15 minutes. Definitely. And it's that whole thing, isn't it? Like you say, there's no hard and fast rules about this. It's trying things out, seeing how they fit for you and then trying something different and just playing around with things. Exactly. So Bella, what about this whole world of publication that we can find ourselves in? Many writers dream of, of having this, this published author career. That The big goal for many of us is um, to write that book, find an agent, find a publisher, get the book out there, and then you're off on your publishing career. But that doesn't always work with the realities of the traditional publishing world, at least. How do you find or how do you suggest authors sort of navigate that path? I love this question. I talk a lot about this in my book. I have a whole section on publishing in the book. And what I want to say is, I don't believe that there has ever been such a wonderful time as there is now to be an author, to be a writer. I mean, a writer is a person who writes, an author is a person mm. who shares what they write, right? They go yeah. public with their writing, okay? Publicare in Latin is to publish, right? Mm. So I believe that anybody who wants to today can make the transition from writer to author. And in terms of how you go about doing it, there's so many, I mean, there's, there's traditional publishing and I, and so traditional publishing is getting an agent and getting a deal with a major publisher and being paid in advance. Although a lot of publishers today aren't even paying advances they're, mm-hmm. they're, and they're cutting hybrid deals under the table and all sorts of things are going on. And there's not really a lot of money for, for publishers today for, for publicity campaigns for authors. Traditional publishers today have to attract writers with big platforms, writers who can sell thousands of books because otherwise they lose money and they've been losing money for a long time. So that publishing model is, some people think it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. When I was working on my memoir, I was having chronic stomach problems and the book is about me trying to cure, get to the bottom of my chronic stomach problems and cure them. So one of the things I did was I went on this raw food diet for five years and it was pretty amazing, but it wasn't the panacea I had hoped for. But when I shopped that book to agents, I got the same comment, which was build your platform as a raw food expert. And I wasn't interested in doing that because the Mm. raw food component was a very, very small piece of what I wanted to talk about. Really what I was interested in was, was just expanding consciousness and creativity and personal transformation and growth. And The physical piece was just one piece. There was Mm. also a mental piece, a psychological component and a spiritual component. And I, that's just not who I was. And so I wasn't interested in that. So I said, well, that actually, this come to think of it, this was with my book proposal. So I said, screw it. I'm just going to write the book. And I wrote the book and it was an amazingly transformative experience. And when it came time to shop the book, I kept dragging my feet. I didn't want to shop the book because I knew what had happened when I was shopping the uh, proposal Mm. and I didn't want that. And I wanted to publish sooner than later and it just wasn't what I wanted. So I was lucky to find She Writes Press, which is a hybrid press. And there's different kinds of hybrid presses. The, what is that organization? The Independent Book Publishers Association last year put out a list of criteria defining what a legitimate hybrid press is, which is different from a vanity press. And a vanity yeah. press pay to publish, but this is different. In this case, number one, with this particular press, you get traditional distribution. 
you pay for the production cost of your book, but then you have ownership of your book and you basically get 80% of the profits of your book rather than 7%, which is more typical in traditional publishing. Yeah. And you are responsible for your publicity, but what a lot of authors today are responsible. There are authors today turning down traditional deals to publish either on a hybrid press or if you really want to do it economically, you're very economically self-publishing, although distribution is an issue with self-publishing. So I'm not sure if this is answering your question. Is this kind of what you were? Well, I mean, it's really interesting to hear about that because I hadn't really thought too much about that whole hybrid model. It's somewhere in between, isn't it? Self-publishing, traditional publishing, and as you say, vanity publishing, which I've had a few clients and friends be bitten by vanity publishing and have paid out a lot of money and gotten very, very little or if anything in return. So it's really interesting to hear about this hybrid model. Yeah, I would say to learn as much as you can about your options. Like a vanity publisher, like if you're 80 years old and you don't want to do any publicity and you just want your book out there and you want it to be done for you, like maybe it's not, you just want a legacy book for your family. Like Mm. maybe that's, but I, I recommend to all of my students and clients that they, if they want to publish, learn the landscape. Yeah. And a wonderful book um, that Brooke Warner wrote is called Greenlight Your Book, How Authors Can Succeed, Can Succeed in Today's Publishing. I don't remember the exact title, but that's the idea. How Authors yeah. Can Succeed in Today's Publishing Landscape, or I'm not sure that's the word she uses. And just get the lay of the land and see what are the different options and... What are, and then just have clarity around what are your goals? Like, it's so interesting because I know somebody who published traditionally and wrote it, then wrote a novel that she couldn't sell, put it in a drawer, wrote another novel that she couldn't sell and hasn't done anything for decades. I, I said to her, what about self-publishing or hybrid publishing? And she said, well, I won't, I won't have a big enough audience. And so what I say is, what would you rather have a small audience or no audience? Mm. And the truth is that my memoir went on to win an award and it, it helped me develop my newsletter and my mailing list and my, my platform has grown. I had a lot of practice with podcast interviews, radio interviews. So if I had not made that decision, I could still be waiting now for a traditional publishing deal that may or may not come. And I have clients and students, by the way, who have gotten agents, have gotten deals. I've seen some people's deals fall apart. I've seen some students and clients get agents and they're excited in the beginning. And then suddenly the agent's not returning their call. And I mean, you hear all kinds of stories, right? So I think the only thing that makes sense is learn the lay of the land, see what's available, and then like see what opportunities present themselves hmm. and, and go forward. Because my, in my experience now, this is my second book, it's really fun. And I'm learning a lot and I'm sharing a lot and I'm absolutely 100% a legitimate author. There's nothing illegitimate about this at all. And I'm gaining valuable skills and I'm growing my platform and my audience but it took, I have to admit, it took courage. I had Mm. to believe in myself. I had to believe that what I had to say was worth sharing, even if I didn't get uh, a deal with Random House or Penguin. Yeah, I can really relate to that, Bella. I had the same experience with my 
it was my fifth published book, Cross My Heart, which I couldn't get a traditional deal for. And it was the same thing. I'd been recommended by the publisher, just put it in a drawer, write the next one. But there was something that in that story and about that story that I really wanted to, to get out there into the world and share. And so it really came down to how much did I believe in the story and how much did I believe in myself? And I have to say that that having that book rejected by traditional publishers was the best thing that could have happened to me at that point in time because it pushed me really hard to make that story the best it could possibly be at the time. And like you say, I learned a whole lot of new skills. I met new people. I connected with different organisations and parts of the publishing world that I otherwise wouldn't have done. And it's not that I'm now rejecting traditional publishing. I'd be quite happy to have another trad deal at some point, but that was such a valuable experience that I'm really glad it happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm. I, feel that, I feel that way. I would say to people who are considering going indie publishing, and, and by indie, that hybrid publishing and self-publishing falls under the umbrella of independent publishing or indie publishing. I would say if you make that choice, and if you want to have a career as an author, make sure that you hire the right kind of help. Yes. Make sure the product that you put out is a professional product. I, I don't know about you, but when I get a book and I open it and it has you know, spelling mistakes and, and grammatical errors and it's sloppy and it's poorly produced, I'm not interested. Yeah, you know? no, I 100% so, agree. Editorial involves first developmental editing, which is the big picture of the, of the story. How's that put together? Copy editing, which is the grammar and the spelling and usage. And then, of course, proofreading. And these should all be like go to people with skills who are people who are trained and be professionals. It shouldn't go to your mother unless she's a professional. Like it just shouldn't go to a family member or a friend. I mean, maybe friends can proofread for you at the very end. And then also to work with professional book designers. One Mm -hmm. thing I loved about She Writes Press is that the publisher, Brooke Warner, she was an acquisitions editor at a traditional house for many, many years. She knows what a book cover is supposed to look like. So I loved being in that collaborative process. I don't want to put it in the past tense. I love being in that collaborative process with, with creative professionals. Yeah, me too. It's great. It's, it's really, really rewarding. Well, Bella, we've talked about journaling as, as definitely a little gateway, if you like, almost into writing and into what you want to write and just in terms of processing different thoughts and feelings. But you do talk in the book about quite a lot of other practical suggestions for actually getting to the page, getting words down. Could you run through a few of those for us? Maybe it's because I come from a dance background, but I think it's really good to get in touch with your body in some way or another, whatever that looks like for you. So for me, it can look like just sitting down and taking some breaths. Right now, I'm going to just take 10 breaths. I'm going to just relax and take 10 breaths just to slow myself down. Other physical activities, walks are great. Any kind of movement can be really helpful. I think I mentioned slowing down earlier. I think slowing down is really valuable. I think that we tend to move very fast, especially in our minds. So I'm sitting in this chair right now and and I'm completely here, but I could also just not be here. My mind could be somewhere else and that happens. So to cultivate an awareness about slowing down And then I would say, like, don't fight whatever it is you're dealing with. Like, maybe you have those voices that are saying this isn't any good. And I would say, like, don't fight with those voices. 
just recognize you don't have to believe them. And then I would say, focus on authentic self-expression. And authentic self-expression is expression that is that comes from here. I don't know if you can see, see me, I'm holding my heart. Yeah. It comes from the heart, it comes from your essence. It comes from something bigger than your thinking mind. And see if you can connect with that part of yourself. Sometimes it helps me just to put my hand on my chest like this and to maybe even close my eyes and to just sort of go inward mm. and be quiet. But people have different ways of connecting with that place. So I would say it's about slowing down, giving up the fight. Sometimes we're fighting with ourselves and we don't even know we're fighting with ourselves. And then just to kind of drop in Mm. and know that it's all like it's all okay wherever you are it's okay and let yourself be where you are don't fight it mm. and eventually it, it will shift especially if you're stuck because everything shifts nothing stays the same we're in perpetual motion and so is our thinking yeah really important things to remember aren't they Bella, there's some fabulous prompts in, in the book. We've talked about the journal topics and things and a lot of questions that are there for us if we choose to, to ask them of ourselves as part of reading and working through the book. What do you think is the most important question a writer could ask herself Ooh, or himself? That's such a good question. I am going to say that the most important question is, who am I? And... I deal with this in the first chapter of the book. So it took me a long time to realize that I am not my gender. I am not my race. I am not the roles that I play as a wife, as a mother. I'm not my the house that I live in or the car that I drive. What I do, I'm not even a writer. That's not who I am is much deeper than that. And who I am is, is the same as who you are. And it's the same as who everybody is. We're, we're these deep knowing souls. Mm. And so for me, knowing that helps me not get so trapped in the illusions of success. It helps me release some of the old expectations, my conditioning. Knowing this means I no longer have to jump through hoops trying to prove myself to anyone. Mm. Knowing this means there's no such thing as not being good enough. Knowing this means that I'm not better than anyone and no one is better than me. So this totally levels the playing field, right? Yeah, so it does, doesn't it? If somebody else gets a great deal with Penguin, they're not better than me. And they may not even be happier at the end of the day because they maybe don't have a say in what their cover looks like. And maybe there's a lot of pressure to sell books and the books aren't selling. And then that's an unfortunate situation. So I guess what I'm trying to say is from the perspective of we're all equal, we're all the same, we're made of the same stuff. We all bleed when we are cut. Mm. Then, then there's, there's just showing up and doing the work that we love to do that we need to do with all of our hearts. Mm. And that's the person that as a writer we're connecting with in the reader, isn't it? That 
that same soul, if you like, that we're connecting with when we're trying to get across what we want to get across to the reader. That's right. I love Mm. that you said that. That's beautiful. That's such a great observation. Mm, Not just struck me as you were saying that. So you've talked in the introduction of the book about moving your hammock and how it gives you different perspective. It gives you different views of things. It allows, it opens up new ideas and things like that. And there is that whole metaphor going on in the book. Why do you think it's important that we do move that hammock every so often? Because life itself is constantly moving. We are constantly moving. Life unfolds in the moment and it's all happening in a state of flux. So when we become attached to the way things are and we're unwilling to move, it's it's tantamount to being unwilling to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good place for us to wrap up, I think, Bella. I mean, there's so much we could talk about and I just highly recommend to everybody that they grab a copy of the book and there's so many things in there that just are so important to think about and to work through and uh, that can be really really helpful I think to our writing lives and and just life in general so where can people find you and where can they find copies of the book yeah the book is available wherever books are sold they can find me on my website which is www.bellamahiacarter.com I'm also offering a free gift to your listeners as a thank you so they can go to my website and they can get a hold of my article, which this article doesn't appear anywhere else. It's called 10 Ways to Nurture Yourself While Writing. And so if they go to my website and they sign up for my newsletter, and let me just tell you what my newsletter is. So once mm-hmm. a month, I write a piece like these chapters in this book. And okay. I share, and my hope is that what I share with people is, is informative, supportive, and inspirational. That's how that works. I love my Instagram feed. I'm also on Facebook and those are the places to find me. I have two upcoming writer circle, a Wednesday and Thursday. The Wednesday is full, but I have some openings in the Thursday class and I've had some people from Australia in my class and Fantastic. I have one right now. So, so I, do, you do, do you do online classes, Bella? I do. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And I have people from the United States, Australia, England, and um, Canada in my classes. That's fantastic. The wonders of technology. Isn't it great? Oh, it's amazing. So that's where I am now. And I would love to hear from your listeners. If they're listening to your show, then I I want to meet them because I know they're <laughs> I can relate yeah, to you. Fantastic. Yeah, we're developing a great community here at Rights for Women. So it's lovely to have you as part of that. It's been such a joy to talk to you, Bella. And if your newsletter is anything like your book and, and your blog, then yeah, definitely I highly recommend that to everyone. So I hope the book goes really well. And yeah, I'll definitely be signing up and finding you online. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I love being here with you, Pamela. And thanks for the great work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4W Podcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women, 
or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. And remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs>